Welcome in. Got another good program lined up for you today. We're going to be talking with the uh, GOP State Chair Mike Watley and uh, get an update on what's going on up at the Superior Court in Wake County with the MAPS trial. And also, I've got a question for him on uh, Moore versus um, or NAACP versus Moore, which is sort of a parallel case to the MAP case, but we'll see where that goes. You know, it's an interesting story, Al. We were, we're talking the, the – it's interesting how the Democrats want to project onto the Republicans everything that they're guilty of. <laughs> I mean, there's an article out of uh, Town Hall today talking about how uh, Eric Swalwell has come out and said that uh, – by the way, the Town Hall says he's the biggest moron in the Democratic Party. That's, that's up for debate. Uh, he, I, he's up there. I'd have to- I would say he's in the top – three eric swalwell i mean yeah. swalwell the um <laughs> but he, he came out and said and i quote he was on msnbc i'm worried that if the republicans win in the midterm elections that voting as we know it in this country will be gone the 2022 midterms are not only the most important election if we don't get it right it could be the last election <laughs> Good grief. i mean if that's not projection of what you're guilty of, your party is guilty of, you're trying to project that on Republicans. It's unbelievable. You know, it's kind of like the Stacey Abrams deal where, you know, they keep accusing Donald Trump of not accepting the results of the election. Yeah. Um, you know, Stacey Abrams for, what, five years now or three years? Yeah, I guess oh, three yeah. years. Yeah, uh-huh. lost the governor race in the state of Georgia by more votes than Donald Trump lost all the states that he supposedly lost to lose Electoral College. But she still hadn't accepted it. And, heck, Hillary Clinton hadn't accepted it since 2016. So to your point about the Democrats projecting that on the Republican, I mean, it's just— And, of course, the mainstream media carries the water for them. Uh, Speaking of Stacey Abrams, though, the Washington Free Beacon had a story out talking about the fact that um, Stacey Abrams is now being rebranded now, now, remember when she ran last time against Kemp down in Georgia for the governor's race, she was praised as a bold progressive, unapologetically left. Mm-hmm. She was just so far left to center. And now she realizes, I, well, you know, I'm not going to win with that. So now the, the mainstream media is just going out of their way. Ah, she's a moderate. Oh, yeah, she's she's out of the mold of uh, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. She's a moderate. If the mainstream media is is touting her as a moderate, then it's obvious to me that they've been fed the plan by the Democrat Party that they intend to get Stacey Abrams on the ticket for 2024. <laughs> no, no, I, no I, I mean, you, you laugh, but I'm, I'm serious. I mean, what? I just I'm sorry. That would be a. Uh, it would be a large ticket. I mean, every time <laughs> would need a lot, of, a lot of caulking too. If so you know when what I mean. she buys that ticket, does she have to get two seats or just one? <laughs> Ooh, Lamprack, you're mean. How dare you say that? But no, I, I mean, you can see it in the in the mainstream media. You'll see things where they take an about face on a position, a 180 degree turn, all of a sudden, and then just a couple of days later, guess what? The Democrats start. To, I mean, they get the talking points from the Democrat Party. But you know what's interesting, though, is the, the progressives in the Democrat Party say – they're coming out and saying, wait a minute, we didn't win because we're not progressive enough. But I hand it to Stacey Abrams. At least she sees the handwriting on the wall. I think, eh, I ain't going to win. I'm not going to win any race at all <clears throat> if I don't uh, 
rebrand myself as a little bit more of a moderate. Well, I've talked about my predictions before. I won't get down to the details, but here's two things. Here's two quick predictions. Number one, Biden and Harris, both, neither will be on the ticket for 2024. That's a safe bet. Number one. Number two, there will not be a Democrat primary. Hmm. I see. I think they would have a Democrat part, uh, primary just as a dog and pony show. Ain't going to happen as a, as a warm up. You know why? Because the the Democrat Party is so far left, they cannot keep the far left wing of the Democrat Party down and survive a primary and get a candidate to the general general election. So they're going they're going to get uh, somehow they're going to get Harris to the Supreme Court. Uh, they will have a new vice president. Joe Biden will step down. That vice president will become president, choose their running mate, and will never have a primary. I have to give you credit for having a lot of detail to your predictions. Well, mine are much more general. Like the the Democrats are going to get shellacked. I don't watch twenty twenty. I don't watch sitcoms. So I don't. Have, you know, I'm kind of bo- I'm kind of a boring person. <laughs> By the way, um, sad story out of Jacksonville, a teen of a son, uh, mm. a teen son, I should say, of a Jacksonville police officer who was accidentally shot on December the 27th has passed away earlier today. Officials with the Onslow County Sheriff's Office said the 15-year-old who has not been identified was found shot when deputies with the Onslow County Sheriff's Office and emergency services were called to a residence on Hall Branch Road. They found the teen had been shot in the head. He has passed away. And again, this teen was the son of a police officer uh, accidentally shot. Um, there is going to be, uh, obviously, an investigation, a further mm. investigation on this, but, but so, so, so sad. I mean, was it thought to be an accidental discharge of the weapon? Or? It is, no more details than it was mm. an accidental shooting, so mm. I do not know. Carolina Journal... Carolina Journal, I've got to say, they've always been good, but they are they are really running full stride now. I mean, if you don't read the Carolina Journal on a regular basis, you need to you need to put that as one of your main stops every day as you go through the news. Uh, they've got an article out, and we're going to refer to them several times today. But the city of Durham. As you said in your email, enough said. (laughs) The city of Durham is set to give monthly checks worth $500 to 115 formerly incarcerated people. The move is part of a nationwide basic income experiment, primarily bankrolled by Twitter co-founder and former CEO Jack Dorsey. Now, he had given, I think, was it $15 million to jumpstart this thing? It was a lot. I know that. Um, the problem is now applicants for the program. Uh, it, it opened today, and uh, you can apply for it. Uh, you'll send. You'll get one five hundred dollar check a month through uh, throughout the year. Recipients are randomly selected. Uh, unconditional cash transfer payments. You must be a resident of Durham, eighteen years or older. Now, I mean, when you hear qualifications for things, usually it's because that you've achieved some great accomplishment you just went to jail that's your yeah that's your achievement yeah your, your accomplishment <clears throat> must be you've been incarcerated in a state or a federal pen, uh, prison at some point after november 2016 and have an income of uh 60 below the area median income which in durham it's sixty one thousand dollars. so you know this is this is bizarre that you're now going to 
reward those people that uh, have broken the law in the past. And there's, I'm sorry, I don't care how, you can do all the explaining uh, you you want to, you are rewarding bad behavior. And we wonder why we have more and more bad behavior year after year. Well, um, $15 million by Jack Dorsey, and and I don't know how much from the uh, nonprofit, or it's being run through the nonprofit, the Step Up Durham. Yeah. Which have, did you look online at all how liberal they are? I, I did not, but well, my hunch is. with Durham, I didn't have to. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, think about this. I mean, we both believe in redemption. I mean, if we didn't. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, we, we all believe in redemption. And people deserve a second chance. But don't, don't you think that the $15 million could be better spent on the youth in Durham? Um who was it said it's uh, easier to build boys than to mend men? Um, was it? Um, I'll think of it in a minute. But but I mean that's the truth. I mean why why don't we spend that money on the troubled youth or the youth in Durham that don't have a chance because of where they live and the conditions they live? Why don't we direct that money to them? Well, why don't we do something along the lines of okay, uh, you're having a hard time. Listen, you go out and get a job, and based on – not based on what your income is, but based on your 40 hours a week of work, we're going to supplement your income. I mean, it, it, the idea that we're just going to hand it out. Now, one of the things they did say is, okay, you have to be a family. You know, We're not going to support a single. But according to Step Up, their website, the purpose of the program is to evaluate guaranteed income's effect on recidivism and re, re- incarceration, employment, economic security, and income vitality, as well as physical functioning, mental health stress, and coping, parenting, housing, and interaction, and other institutional systems. But the one thing that is not measured that they didn't bring up, only, well, they did say, they did say um, uh, employment, but other than that, it, it does. You know, wh- how are you going to measure the self satisfaction one obtains by the dignity of work? I mean, there's a dignity and, and a, a completeness in going out and doing a job and accomplishing something, regardless of your income. And and quite frankly, just handing some. You know, Ronald Reagan's old saying. You know. Uh, you know, hand a man a fish, he'll be fed for a day. Teach a man to fish, and he'll be fed for a lifetime. But uh, I mean, there has to be something more than just handing out money and say. And, and look, this is a preamble to a universal basic income. Mm-hmm. And Jack Dorsey is not going to. You know, they're saying, "Oh, this is great. He he jump started this." Well, who's going to pick up the tab after this? It's not going to be Jack Dorsey. It's going to be the taxpayer. It's going to be the taxpayer, and it's it's just another form of income distribution, which is just another form. It's right on back to the Marxist principles that we've been talking about all yeah, the time. Yeah. And if you look at the Democrats' platform from the last election, it talked about you know universal basic income and, and looking for opportunities and all. But it's just another way of making people dependent on the government, on the government, and creating two classes of people. The government, the lords, and the serfs, and that's—I mean, yeah. it's that's yeah, what it we're, is. We're, we're turning uh, into a caste system. I mean, and it's, it, what's interesting is the same people who condemned the United States of America because we once had slave slavery, we once had—you uh, know—it it was a terrible blight on our country. 
but yet they're they're still embracing a, a a form of slavery. I mean, you know, it might not be that okay, you're legally owned by someone, but the idea that you're being kept in this bondage and dependent upon the United States government and or, or the local government or the state government. It's a form of slavery. Hey, we got to take a time out. Stay with us. Lots more to talk about. 561-8255. More news and views right after this. I'm a bit confused. Cutting through the confusion. Why are they forcing the vaccine on people at all? News and views. Should I get it? Should I not get it? To bring you clarity and certainty. I am just, I'm tired of it. I'm losing trust in all of it. Now back to and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Tom Lamprecht, Benny Hardy, Clark Willis, and the chairman of the North Carolina Republican Party, State Chair Michael Watley. Michael, welcome into News and Views. Good to have you with us. It's good to be on with you, Tom. Thanks. Listen, uh, we are in day three of this election map trial hearing, whatever you want to call it, for the Wake County Superior Court. Um, can you give us an update on what happened today? Uh, we talked about it a little bit yesterday, and uh, we've been following it from uh, from Greenville in our studios. But uh, what's what happened today of any significance? Well, I think the biggest thing is that they wrapped up all the testimony, and it's it's a little unfortunate that out of a three day trial, uh, you know, the, the 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 legislature only got about two thirds of a day, whereas the the Democratic plaintiffs had, you know, two plus full days, but that's okay. Um, but the key is that this is now in the hands of the three-judge panel. And uh, we are really hoping that the three-judge panel is going to rule that the legislature has the sole authority to draw these maps because that's what the Supreme Court has said. That's what the North Carolina courts have said in the past. Um, and, uh, you know, we need to see uh, this upheld, uh, the maps upheld. Uh, rather than have, you know, North Carolina courts uh, take over a process that is solely reserved for the legislature. Well, if the Supreme Court has said that in the past now and right now, the Democrats have a 4-3 majority on the Supreme Court. Uh, if if this superior court says, OK, we're not, uh, you know, we're, we're going to side with the, the the state legislature or for that matter, even if the if the plaintiffs um, uh, were to prevail, is it a autumn? I mean, because the, the Supreme Court's already come out and said, okay, we're going to skip the Court of Appeals, correct? And it would go directly from correct. the Supreme Court, I mean, the Superior Court to the Supreme Court. But is that is that an absolute? I mean, do we know that's going to happen? Yeah, I think that's what, what we are expecting. You know, certainly the Supreme Court has said that they're going to take the course or the case right up. So, you know, the only way that they wouldn't is if, you know, one or the other side didn't appeal. And we certainly expect that both sides would appeal. So, you know, that will put it back in front of the North Carolina Supreme Court. And we certainly hope that they will follow uh, the instructions that were put down by the United States Supreme Court back in 2019 that say that the legislature has the sole purview over redistricting. We were talking during the break. Did the United States Supreme Court, we're trying to pull from memory, did, did they basically say, I mean, obviously they said it's up to the legislature. But did they uh, say we're not going to get involved with it? It's it's a state issue, and it's it's not going to go any further than the North Carolina Supreme Court. Or if the legislature were to, to lose at the Supreme at at the North Carolina Supreme Court, is there any further 
uh, appeals to a federal court? Well, they, they certainly said that the, uh, they instructed the, the federal district courts not to take any of these cases, which is why we have this in state court instead of federal court right now, right. even though you've got the congressional lines that are going to be on it. So, you know, we're, we're certainly hoping that the, the state Supreme Court is going to abide by the North Carolina laws and the United States Supreme Court and allow the legislature to draw the maps as they're supposed to. Otherwise, I think you know, that uh, the legislature would be in line uh, to go ahead and appeal back up to the United States Supreme Court uh, if, if the you know, Supreme Court, for example, were to say that they're going to draw the lines themselves or that they're going to accept, you know, the map that's been drawn by the plaintiffs uh, and submitted in this case, which is, you know, far less transparency and not following the, the instructions that the courts have already given the legislature. You know, we had the most transparent process ever uh, where we've had public hearings we've had the maps that were drawn in public uh, we had more public hearings uh, and they're following the instructions that the courts have given them the legislature that is um, and uh, you know it would just be a shame for four Democrat judges on the North Carolina Supreme Court to hijack that process and insert themselves into a process again that the United States Supreme Court has said is solely within the purview of the of the federal courts or of the legislature excuse me we're talking to north carolina republican party state chairman michael watley concerning these uh, election maps these districts that are being that were drawn by the north carolina legislature and uh, now being challenged uh, let me take you back to something you just said which i'm just really curious uh, uh why why was it that the um, the plaintiffs in this case the democrats basically uh who want to do away with the, the maps why did they get two and a third days and the Republicans or the, the state legislature only got two thirds of a day? I mean, did the judges, is that a decision by the judges in this case? Well, I think it's, it, it, unfortunately, with the Supreme Court has set out the, the schedule here, you know, these cases usually take weeks or even right. months, not right. just three days. And so, you know, really, by the time the plaintiffs have gotten done with their questioning, uh, on their evidence, you know, there was just a couple days left, and, and that's the way it is. Um, you know, and I think that the Republican attorneys did a, did a very good job, uh, you know, defending the legislature, and we'll, we'll see what these judges come back in with it. But, uh, you know, again, uh, the way that the four judges, the four Democrat judges on the Supreme Court, you know, really hijacked this process, uh, they suspended, you know, filing for all of the races, even races that weren't affected by this litigation, right. uh, they set a trial court schedule uh, completely arbitrarily uh, and then just said, you know, you guys go handle this and we'll deal with the appeal directly. So uh, it is it is surprising to see the Supreme Court acting uh, in this manner. And that's, that's one reason why we've seen, you know, Dan Bishop and others uh, who are protesting that have, have you know, actually uh, filed a lawsuit himself to try and figure out what is going on with, it, you know, transparency on the Supreme Court at this point. It, it certainly appears to be judicial malfeasance. I mean, just, I'm not a lawyer, but it just, it's it's hard to wrap my mind around the, the fact that they they think that this is okay, that, that they can sort of, you know, fly the ship whatever direction and however they want uh, based on what they feel at the moment. I mean, the very fact that we didn't go through the Court of Appeals, I mean, if you're not going to go to the Court of Appeals, why'd they bother going through the Superior Court? Right. Right. 
You know, and, and I'll say this. I think, you know, we fought very hard in the 2020 election cycle uh, to get three conservative uh, judges on the North Carolina Supreme Court. Unfortunately, we did go three for three, including, you know, Paul Newby in as the chief justice. But, uh, you know, this is, is a prime illustration right. of why you need to have conservatives on the court. And they need to be interpret the law. Uh, they need to, to be aware of their circumstances instead of trying to legislate from the bench. Um, you know, it's, it's just clear that this is what the legislature is supposed to be doing. Uh, and, and we certainly hope uh, that the courts, both at this, uh, you know, district court level and at the uh, um, uh, Supreme Court level, are going to to follow those dictates and do the right thing. Hey, Michael, this is Benny. Um, you know, we, for the last months, we've been reading in the in the press around the state, and I don't have to tell you. You know, they basically tote the water for the for the Democrat Party when it comes to this uh, uh, election map drawing process, and they talk about, you know, hey, the Republicans is, have gerrymandered the maps, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm going to make a statement. Correct me, correct me where I'm wrong on this, but isn't it true that, you know, the, the legislature ha- has the constitutional authority to draw the maps, and they can draw the maps any way they want to as long as they don't break the Constitution in doing so? Is, is that not correct? That is correct. You and know, and so, so it is up to the court. Yeah, so so to me, the only just because the Republicans have an advantage, how how can that be an argument? Shouldn't they just only be arguing on constitutional basis? Well, and it, and it goes back to the discussions about the maps that we saw the Democrats draw for decades. Bingo. Yeah. Where you talk about a true uh, gerrymander, you take a look at that 12th district. They called it the snake. Yep. Uh, you Went know, up I-85. From yep. Gaston County up to Durham, yeah. Uh, yep. You know, so so it is beyond hypocritical uh, for them to do that. And then the other piece of hypocrisy that we've seen on this is that, again, you know, the, the legislature went through a very, very transparent process. And you look at the map and the, the districts are compact and the districts do not split the counties uh, too much. And they do all the things that the court told them to do. And then the Democrats, the, the League of Conservation Voter Plaintiffs, not only sue against those maps, but they submitted a map that was drawn in secrecy by one of their lawyers, one of their experts, that other Democratic witnesses and experts say has absolutely no statistical chance of ever being an appropriate map. Uh, so it is, it is hysterical to me that you've got the Democrats howling in protest over Republican maps, and yet they've turned around and submitted maps that are even worse. Uh, Michael, you bring up a good point uh, that I was going to ask about. Last week, um, the League of Conservation Voters uh, filed for a protective order to shield their map maker from the sc- scrutiny of how they determine his map. Now, yeah. th- I thought that was a big deal. So, so has this week have they questioned? Uh, I forget his name now, but the rep, uh, Sam Hirsch, I believe it was. Have they questioned uh, that that expert from the North Carolina League? Yeah. He was actually, yeah, the, the, the uh, legislative attorneys today called him up as an expert. So I think that there was an opportunity uh, to talk to him about it. But it is, as you said, remarkable uh, that in a lawsuit over transparency and process, they were trying to do everything they can to hide the process and have no transparency in terms of the maps they're submitting to the courts. When you... Uh 
look at the demeanor of the judges and any questions that they might have asked. Did, did you get a sense of how this court is leaning in this case? No, I didn't. You know, I think that they're being, you know, fair and they're being impartial. And I think that, uh, you know, what, what, what we saw was, you know, the, the counsels uh, leading the witnesses through their testimony and the opposing counsels were, uh, you know, coming back with, with cross-examinations and think that's entirely appropriate. Now, of course, we're going to see a ruling from this court uh, no later than next you know, week. So, um, you know, whether they drop that later this week or early next week, I don't know. We'll wait and see, you know, kind of what happens with it. But I, I don't get a sense that there really was any particular push by this to, to intervene in the lawsuit inappropriately. You brought up the fact that this is incredibly hypocritical in that the Democrats have for decades, we could say a a good century, have drawn maps that favor them. And, uh, you know, you you mentioned the I-85 snake. Did did that come up at all in this trial? Did anybody bring up the fact, well, wait a minute, how come now that the Republicans are in charge, this is a big deal where Republicans allowed Democrats to have their way because they were the elected majority in the North Carolina legislature for all those decades. Why, why are the rules changed now that the Republicans can draw the maps? Yeah, you know, and this is absolutely part of the Democrats' uh, strategy. You know, they, they announced that they were going to sue against the maps before the maps were even right. uh, un- announced, right? And then they actually did have one plaintiff's group file a lawsuit prior to the maps even coming out. You know, the fact that Eric Holder, uh, who has been behind a, a rash of these lawsuits, actually opened up an office in last year uh, in order to get ready for the litigation that they knew was going to be coming. You know, it, it, it really goes back. I think I've heard the term sue till you blue, uh, you know, quite a bit, which is that, that any map uh, that is not submitted by the Democrats is going to get sued upon. They're just not even going to consider it uh, to be fair. And, you know, that that goes for the state legislative maps. It goes for the congressional maps. You know, and then you have these activist judges on the Supreme Court who are suspending filing even for sheriff's races or for, you know, the statewide races. It's, it's really remarkable how the entire litigation plan is to delay and just muddy the waters as much as you can when it comes towards, you know, uh, our elections. How is this all playing out in terms of politics? I mean, you've got this going on. Yesterday we had Hans von Spakovsky on with us from the Heritage Foundation. We are talking to him about what Chucky Schumer is doing up in D.C., trying to resurrect H.R. 1 and, you know, basically federalize all the elections, take it away from the state legislature. This situation with the maps here in in, uh, in North Carolina, as well as what you see happening on the national level with the Democrats trying to basically steal the elections uh, going down the road with this HR one, and they got the John HR four, the John Lewis uh, Act. How's that all playing out politically? As, as you know, trying to be unbiased because you you're, you got your ear to the ground, you hear a lot, you talk to a lot of people. Is are I'm not talking about Republicans. I know Republicans are upset, but is the general public just sick and tired of this? They are, you know, and and, and they're not necessarily saying you have to have uh, a process that favors Republicans as opposed to a process that favors Democrats. I think what they're saying is give us process that we understand. Give us 
uh, certainty in terms of how these elections are going to be run. You know, we do not need a federal bill like H.R. 1 or H.R. 4 that is going to federalize what California has in terms of uh, ballot harvesting and in terms of, you know, uh, mailing out ballots and things like that. You know, 80 percent of the people across the country support voter ID. The, the, the legislation sponsored by the Democrats would prohibit voter right. ID. You know, exactly. we're, we're in the process now of, you know, we've got a voter ID case in front of the Supreme Court in North Carolina right now where we're trying to implement a constitutional amendment uh, that, that was passed on a bipartisan basis here in North Carolina. So, you know, people want certainty in their elections. They want transparency in their elections. And I think, you know, if, if you look at, at what we're trying to get done in North Carolina, uh, we want it to be easy to vote and hard to cheat. Um, and, and we certainly can't vote if we don't have filing, if we don't have candidates, if we don't have maps. But at the same time, you know, if you start uh, down the road of, of banning voter ID and, and prohibiting the uh, Board of Elections from considering witness signatures, uh, either on elections or for their witnesses uh, on absentee ballots, and you take away those absentee protections, People are definitely very concerned, and all of these things are 70-80% approval in terms of uh, voters across all three spectrums, whether they're unaffiliated or Democrat or Republican. Or black or white. Yeah, I mean, we certainly saw in the last polling, we saw, you know, 65% plus of of black voters support voter ID. So you're, you're absolutely right that this is, you know, kind of transcends any of the convenient political lines that the Democrats would like to have you see. Well, this voter ID law uh, that's uh, coming before the Supreme Court, uh, NAACP versus Moore, uh, you know that was the that was the case where the Democrats wanted two of the Republican su- Supreme Court justices to recuse themselves because they had a conflict of interest, which again is interesting because Anita Earls, apparently they didn't think she had a conflict of interest, even though she was representing the NAACP. But um, were the the NAACP that unsure that they could prevail with a 4-3 majority at the North Carolina Supreme Court that they wanted two of the of the Republican judges to recuse themselves? I mean, are they that unsure? Uh, is their case that weak? What's their thinking there? Well, their case certainly is that weak, and I can only imagine that that's the reason why they pushed so hard for those recusals. And I'm very glad that the Supreme Court did issue an order yesterday saying that those judges do not need to recuse right. themselves. Um, or that they can't be forced by the other judges to to, to, to recuse. So, you know, I think that, that, that we've gotten the right answer there, which, which basically kind of averts a nuclear war at the Supreme Court, because if they had gone down the road of saying, we can kick you off of any particular case with a majority vote, that would have upended 250 years of jurisprudence in the United States and certainly in North Carolina. So I'm glad that they backed down off of that. But it does go to, to show... The, the steps that these groups, the NAACP, the League of Conservation Voters, the Democratic Party, are trying to take to, to avoid the reckoning of having free and fair and open elections. You know, and, and we feel strongly that that's because we have a better program. The Republicans have a much better agenda for North Carolina voters, North Carolina families, uh, and, and we want to we campaign on those not on trying to change the rules uh, halfway through the game in any particular election. 
So any predictions on how the uh, Superior Court or the uh, Supreme Court is going to rule on the maps? Not going to make a prediction, but what I am going to do is call on both of the court panels to do the right thing, uh, to listen to the United States Supreme Court, who has said that this is the sole purview of the legislature, uh, and uh, to, to rule that this is something that needs to be done by the legislature, where they've done it in accordance with all of the rules passed down by North Carolina courts, the process being open and transparent. So we hope that they'll uphold these maps and we would like to get back to filing. If it's not in March, let's have it in May and let our candidates line up and and, and uh, see how we do in the election. And again, going back to what you said earlier, I know the Supreme Court said, okay, you know, the federal court's not going to handle it. The state court needs to handle it. But if the legislature were to lose at the North Carolina Supreme Court, do you expect some sort of an attempted appeal to a federal court? Well, I think it depends on what that, that court orders. I think if they were to say that these maps are out of order and you need to go back and redraw them, then we will probably have a process to go back and redraw them. But if they try and draw them themselves or if they try and accept maps that have been submitted by the plaintiffs, which clearly contravenes the North Carolina uh, constitution and law, which says that the legislature has to draw the maps, uh, then I do think that you would probably have an appeal that would move up. Michael Watley, thank you, sir. Appreciate your hard work. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. And, uh, Absolutely. yeah, hopefully, uh, in another week or two, we'll have something positive. Uh, well, maybe it's going to be a month or two. We'll have something positive out of the Supreme court. Appreciate all your work. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care guys. You bet. Stay with us. News and Views continues right after this. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Today is National Whipped Cream Day. Hmm. Everything goes better with whipped cream. I don't, <laughs> you know, the, the can of uh, Ready Whip or whatever, I don't care what you're eating. Just squirt a little of that on there and it's a lot better. Kind of reminds me of a movie, Nine and a Half Weeks, that came out a long time ago. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, changing the subject, taking a look at your weather forecast, mostly cloudy with low around 39 tonight. Uh, tomorrow, sunshine with a high near 56. Tomorrow night, more showers coming in, low around 34. Are, you, are we going to get any rain? The low is 34, and uh, we got a 50% chance of rain tomorrow night. I think the forecast today was a little bit cooler than what they taught it just seemed well this, cold all day today. yeah i think the sun was supposed to have come out or at least the rain was supposed to have stopped and it just came down in buckets 
Uh, Friday, mostly sunny with a high near 42. Friday night and Saturday, it's going to get cold. So uh, get ready. Get bring an in, extra log for the fire. And bring in the brass monkeys. Yeah. The Washington Free Beacon. President Joe Biden has achieved a historic milestone less than a year into his presidency. This is cut one, Clark. Here's the president. Shut down the virus. I'm not going to shut down the country. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'll shut down the virus, not the economy. What I would say is I'm going to shut down the virus, not the country. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm not going to shut down the country, but I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to shut down the virus. Once we shut down the virus, I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to shut down the virus. Anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. Okay. All right. anyway. There's the door. Don't let it hit you in the rear end on the Come way on, man. Despite Biden's campaign to shut down the virus, 417,610 Americans have now died from COVID-19 since Biden was inaugurated, which is more than the 408,450 deaths under Donald Trump's watch. And, you know, this is the same time was it last week during the governor's, uh, I guess, conference call we had with the governors. He, he, ultimately said at the end he said look there's no federal solution yeah yeah <laughs> and at the same time he said that the federal government had taken over the distribution of monoclonal antibodies from the states i don't know if you've read that but, oh yeah but and, if, but and, if, and now florida can't get it florida can't get any and the florida um head of uh surgeon general yeah health services or whatever yeah. his title is basically the the mandy cohen of florida i mean he's basically come out and said that the federal government is preventing them from treating people now consider consider how evil that is because what is their motivation to make sure that florida doesn't get any of these treatments and you know it's really interesting you you really have seen the tide begin to turn away from the vaccines toward the treatments but why would they want to destroy lives in florida one one simple answer DeSantis. I mean, when you consider who might be running for the presidential election next time around, the name that comes up consistently consistently is DeSantis. Mm -hmm. Are are they so willing as to see lives snuffed out with the hopes that they're going to ruin the political career of Ron DeSantis? I, I, I think it's completely political, and they are so afraid of DeSantis. Every time the the needle gets moved at all in florida on any case count death count or whatever they make a big deal about it and and the mainstream media makes a big big deal about it just because they're afraid of ron DeSantis. and when you look at DeSantis's uh polling numbers in florida and how he won and oh they and, love him oh they love him so they're worried about projecting that on the u.s population i mean yeah. i you know, I, people are going to disagree, but DeSantis should be the Republican. Well, you got to have a Republican primary, but I, he he's my he's my vote for who should be on the ticket. Top of the well, ticket. I really hope that uh, Donald Trump wants to be a king maker and not the king. Yeah, uh, because uh, listen, if, if he really loves the country like he says, and look, I'm a, I'm a Trump guy. Don't, don't you know? Don't send me emails, hate mails about oh you're turning on Trump. No, I I like Trump. I do. I think I'm a Trump guy. But if you really want to have the Republicans take control and win the White House, Donald Trump, and and I think Donald Trump loves this country. I really do. I think he's very sincere in what he says. 
but I think he's got to lay aside his uh, his ego and uh, do what is best for the United States. And I would like to see him. And I think he's a great kingmaker. Yeah. I, I, if he's at the top of the ticket, I'm just afraid that the, the mainstream media and the Democrat Party will say, oh, boy, all we have to do is be anti-Donald Trump, and the focus will not go on what the Democrats have done for the last two years, oh, yeah. four years. Yeah. So, Hey, we've got to take a quick time out. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Back to News and Views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. The College Fix is reporting that the UNC Med School up in Chapel Hill is moving ahead with plans to root instruction in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, this is a medical school 
that is more concerned with diversity, equity, and inclusion than basic science. And the reason why I say that is because one of the things that instructors will be required to do is, quote, explain the difference between sex and gender and how specific organs and cells do not belong to specific genders. Good grief. In other words, your genitalia has nothing to do with you being male or female. And yet this is supposedly the leading prestigious medical school, one of the leading schools in the nation. Mm-hmm. And and they're they're coming out and they're 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 saying this is important because there's racial disparity 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 between the races. Mm-hmm. That one race is not being treated as fair as another race. And so we need to have diversity, equity, and inclusion in our medical school. Now, the irony of this is the opposite will come out. The, out- the, out- the outcome will not be enhanced medical service towards all races. It will go downhill. I mean, students and instructors are going to be preoccupied with check the correct box Make sure they're not put on the fascist list of those who will not comply with the dictates and mandates of the Fuhrer. Instead of attending classes and seminars on medical advancement, time will be spent on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and making sure your credentials are up to date. (laughs) I mean, this is the imbecility of liberalism is madness. It is madness. And the medical community, honestly, I mean, they have some mending to do because the last two years— public health in general people don't trust it no because they they've gotten political and this is just another step where hey who cares about that stuff i want the best doctor i don't care if they've got three heads and uh you know half horse if that's the best doctor that's what i want and that's all you should be concerned about you know they have every year they come out with who are the most trusted occupations yep. uh and they list by category and I remember you know, 10 years ago, the medical profession, doctors, were pretty close to the pretty top close of to the top. list. I mean, congressmen were pretty close to the bottom. Ministers and doctors were close to the top. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't think that would be the case today. No. Hey, we got to run. Our thanks to Michael Wadley. We'll do it again tomorrow at 5 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.